Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast, where we're helping you lead better every day. And now here's your host. Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Day, and we have a great episode for you today. Here in the U.S., it is Military Appreciation Month, and we're celebrating Memorial Day. And today's guest is a man who understands the military. Chad Robichaud is a United States Marine Corps Force Recon veteran whose life was radically transformed by Jesus Christ. He now dedicates his life to serving U.S. military, active duty, and veterans using faith-based combat trauma programs through the ministry he and his wife, Kathy, founded, the Mighty Oaks Foundation. You will hear Chad's amazing story, and Chad also shares some great insights and some great advice about how our churches can best support our military families. I know you're going to appreciate this episode, so I invite you to listen in on my conversation with Chad Robichaud. Chad, I just want to thank you for being with us here on our Church Leaders Podcast. I'm excited to have you share your story with our audience, but I also wanted to say on behalf of our entire team here at Church Leaders, thank you for your service, both as a Special Ops Recon Force Marine and also as a law enforcement officer, where I see that you received the Medal of Valor for Bravery Beyond the Call of Duty. So I just want to say thank you, brother. Thanks so much. It's uh, great to be on and just to really share my story and and uh, spend some time with you this morning. Excellent. Uh, now, you've seen a lot in your life, Chad. You've been engaged in and you've been a witness to a lot of violence over the years um, in different ways. As a special ops Marine deployed to Afghanistan eight times, as a law enforcement officer, and then you're also uh, you're a mixed martial arts world champion. But now you are a board-certified pastoral counselor, your best-selling author, and along with your wife, Kathy, you founded the Mighty Oaks Foundation, which is an organization, uh, a nonprofit that serves our U.S. military, both active duty and veterans. And, uh, and in that ministry, you guys kind of walk people through discipleship programs that seek to bring healing and wholeness to, um, to the brokenness that they experience in their lives. Now, when we, we look at your life, uh, those two worlds, for many people, <laughs> right, they might seem really far apart. Can you share with us a bit of your story and how this this all came to be? Yeah, when you, when you hear it spoken out, it really sounds like a you know 180 degrees and two two opposite opposite ends of the spectrum. But in reality, um, to me, it's it's all the same. You know, I'm a fighter. I've always been a fighter. Everything I've done in my life and and uh, and to this very day in ministry, I feel like I'm in my biggest fight. And uh, and that's what really we do at our ministry is that we teach people. Um, how to fight, how to fight to be the men and women that God created them to be, how to be the leaders that we're all called to be, and how to do the work that God, you know, it's, uh, challenges each day we wake up to do. And uh, and it, to do those things, to be who God created us to be, requires a fight because everything in the world is going to pull us away from that. And so uh, so I think a lot of my past as, you know, as a reconnaissance Marine, as a uh, professional fighter, as a police officer, the different things I've experienced have really just equipped and prepared me to to take up that mantle and and uh, continue in the fight for the work that we do at Mighty Oaks, but also to to pass those lessons on to others. That's awesome. Now, can you talk to me a little bit about your experience? Like, how did you come to to Christ, and and how did Christ begin to take um, these experiences of your past and transform them in a way that would ultimately bring glory to God? Yeah. Well, um, you know, I I grew up 
from a, a father who's a Marine as well. He's a Vietnam veteran. So I grew up in a really rough childhood. Uh, childhood. Uh, my father was extremely physically abusive. He probably suffered with, with PTSD, although I don't think he was ever diagnosed with it, but he definitely was very angry, very discontent man. And, uh, and, and growing up in a, in a household with a lot of physical abuse, you know, he, the siblings get really close. So my brother and I were, he was a year older than me. We were really close. We used to talk about joining the military together to really escape the lifestyle we're in, maybe get a fresh start at life. And uh, when I was uh, 14 and he was 15, he was, he was shot and killed. And to me, that was like, you know, the, even though I grew up a rough childhood, that was just a really devastating time in my life. The little family I had kind of disintegrated. And, and uh, by the time I was 17, I had pretty much had isolated myself and uh, fulfilled that quest of wanting to join the military. And when I was 17, I got a chance to get that fresh start and join the United States Marine Corps. Um, I didn't even have a high school diploma at that time. And, and the Marine Corps gracefully took me in and gave me that second chance at life. I, uh, that was 1993, so obviously a long time would happen before I'd actually step into a real combat zone, but I did my first year become a, become a recon Marine and, and uh, started that quest to do this job that I wanted to do. And I did four years of active duty and then switched to the reserves uh, for four years, and while I was in the reserves was when I was a police officer. And also at the end of that four years when 9-11 happened, and sent me back on my quest to go uh, back in the military full time, eventually go to Afghanistan uh, eight times as part of a, uh, a JSOC task force, a Joint Special Operations Command Task Force. And uh, if so, if if I would have looked back at my life and asked if I was a Christian when I went to Afghanistan, I would have said yes. Um, maybe because it was stamped on my dog tags, or because I claimed to be a Christian. Maybe I identified with that. I even took my my family to church. But the truth was that like. I probably took my family to church more to be in control, like to manipulate my family, to drag my wife there to be a, a good, godly, virtuous woman and be my, my kids to go to Sunday school. But like for me, I was definitely doing church at a distance. I, I wasn't truly having a relationship with God. In fact, I, I viewed my view of Christian men was was uh, and Christian men were weak. That's what that's how I viewed it. Um and in part, there's probably some truth to that. Uh, but so I go, I go to Afghanistan and have to make this choice of how to do my job as a warrior in this evil place and do this very difficult job. And I made a decision. I thought, you know, can I do this job as a warrior and being this Christian or being this man of morality, a man of, of God? And I thought by not understanding who Christian men were, I thought I couldn't do it. So I, I feel like I deliberately made a choice. Like I could do that later on in my life. But right now, I have to be this this warrior, and that can't include this man of morality, this man of faith. And uh, I believe that's a lie that many men believe today, not just in combat, but just in, in life, that somehow Christian men are weak or you have to trade your masculinity for Christianity. And uh, thankfully not today, I know the truth that there's nothing more strong and more courageous than a man of God who stands up for the things of this world that need uh, to be stood up to. But without understanding that at that time in my life, I believe I—, I I uh, left a hole in my heart that was filled with just hate and rage and bitterness and eventually uh, the other things that would start to erode me, which was the anxiety and, and uh, the separation, really separation that I chose to be uh, from, from a relationship with God. And uh, it almost cost me everything. I, I started uh, my job at being very, um, very intense because I, I lived with the local nationals. I didn't live on a base, so I learned with the Taliban had done to these women and children and, you know, politics aside, if 
believed it would belong in Afghanistan or not, the, the truth was like learning what had happened to these people. My heart went from being wanting to retaliate for 9-11 to really wanting to make what had happened to these people right. And uh, so, so being around these, you know, playing soccer with the kids and having dinner with the families, like understanding what had happened to them, I really had a, had a heart for the Afghan people and a, and a hatred towards the, the Taliban. And so that intensity, which I share with everybody who worked with, ended up turning into something that I couldn't turn on and off when I come home. So I come home from being in Afghanistan 24 hours later, I'm home with my wife and, uh, you know, immediately um, feel out of place. I want to be back, back in Afghanistan. I want to do this job. I feel like the guy replacing me can't do my job as good as me because I'm so arrogant about my work. And, uh, and uh, honestly, I felt very out of place at home. And uh, that, that intensity crept its way in my, my home life. And my, uh, my household became not a very happy place for me to come home to. My children were scared of me. My wife was scared of me. I was like a time bomb, a snap off in, in fits of anger. Uh, I, you know, I always tell the story, uh, share a story of my daughter. Uh, the reason I probably do is because I'm so shameful at this moment in my life. But it's just an example of how it was every day. My daughter was having a birthday party and wanted me to make it home uh, from Afghanistan. And, and I did. And she was so excited. And and uh, she had her cake, and she's very opinionated. And uh, as a matter of fact, she's home right now from from, a, from Bible college. Uh, she's just a really strong personality. So she didn't like the icing on her cake. And I like grabbed my little girl's birthday cake in front of everyone and just grabbed it, and threw it against the wall, and destroyed her birthday. And uh, that that behavior was uh, was the norm. I throw these these fits of uh, uncontrolled rage, and and uh, worked really well in Afghanistan, but it didn't work in in my home and. And uh, the further I went down this road, the more I realized it and the more I felt I needed to separate myself from my family. Uh, that, that anger started turning to anxiety and I started having these physiological symptoms co- come over me. Like my arms would go numb, my face would go numb. I felt like my throat was swelling shut and my heart was like maybe have a heart attack. And uh, I didn't want to tell the people I worked with in this little spe- special operations community because I felt like if I said something, not like felt like it was it was actually the reality. If I would have said something, I would have been ostracized. I would have been uh, you know viewed as weak or and uh, pulled from my job. So I, I chose to not say anything, kind of push it down and keep going forward and doing my job. And uh, I, I, that lasted for a little while. It got more and more difficult to do that. But eventually these, these symptoms uh, progressed and I started having what I know to be now panic attacks. And I started uh, losing gaps of time. So I started forgetting things. In fact, the last uh, my last uh, period of time overseas, I, I lost about two weeks that I couldn't even remember. It was very foggy, wow. and uh, and I felt like at that time I had to I had to say something because not only was I putting myself in a situation where I was unsafe, but the people I worked with. Right. And so when I did say something, I was brought home, and uh, that was the first time that I sat across from my psychologist, and uh, was told I had PTSD, and uh, and just like I had suspected, I was immediately removed from my job, and I was a uh, very ashamed. I was, I was very scared. I felt like I failed. I felt like not only did I fail, but I felt like I was going to die at any moment because the physiological symptoms are so overwhelming. And, um, I, I didn't know what else to do. My wife and I, uh, worked this with its counselor. They put me on medications, but the medications really had zombie, like made me feel like a zombie. And the doctor's like, you need to do something physical. You need to get active. And, uh, and so I went to what I had always done. I've, I've been a martial artist since I was five years old wrestled into jiu-jitsu and uh and i'd already been a professional mma fighter i was doing it on the side and i was undefeated so i was pretty successful at it and so i got on those wrestling mats 
and tried tried it. And the first time I got on those mats, I literally felt like I found a cure because you can't, you know, wrestle and do jujitsu and think about Afghanistan. Your buddy's going to choke you. It's like one of those things you have to pay attention. So, uh, so for me, I felt like, wow, you know, this is, this is it. This is the answer. This is my, uh, the solution to all these problems. And, uh, you know, the truth is I, you know, jujitsu is good for me and I still do it to this day. The, the pastors listening will probably agree that know that, uh, ministry is pretty stressful and you have bad days in ministry. And so I have bad days now. And when I do, I just go to the gym and find some like 19 year old stud and I choke him out. <laughs> <laughs> it, makes me, it makes me feel good. But you know, the, the, the truth is though, you can have something that's really good for you and you could abuse it. Mm. And that's what it did. I took this, this hobby that's, that's good for me. And I, I used it as a, as a bandaid, as a crutch to get by. I never really got better. I just uh, would have anxiety instead of going to a bottle of alcohol, I'd go into wrestling mats and spend 10, 12 hours a day on those mats training, doing fights and, and, uh, and spending that much time into it. It gave me this this uh, level of success that was really accoladed. You know, I became a top ranked fighter. I won a world championship. I eventually was 18 and two as a professional. And so I had like a thousand students in my school and to start surrounding myself with all these people that were really telling me everything I wanted to hear but no one telling me what I needed to hear. I didn't have any accountability and it mm. was really a, just a recipe for disaster. And, uh, and this, this fake facade of success kept building up and building up and building up. And eventually, you know, it, it all came crashing down. Uh, my, my marriage was still dead. I was still having panic attacks. Me and my wife were sleeping in separate bedrooms. And, you know, I, I started becoming very, very depressed. Um, and I ended up stepping out of our marriage into an affair I didn't care at that time if my wife even knew. I wasn't trying to really even hide it. Uh, and so we ended up selling our home. Um, we rent two separate apartments, 12-month leases. And uh, so we were pretty committed. We started all the divorce paperwork. And uh, my wife and I had two different reactions. My wife, um, she went into a church, uh, and she just started praying for me. She said she didn't know how to pray for me, but she would spend every day in this church. And uh, she said she, she was so angry that she picked up the book Power Praying Wife to help her through it. And she would pray, you know, God, let me see Chad the way you see Chad. Let me love him the way you love him. Let me forgive him the way that you forgave him. And wow. So uh, you pray for me. And, you know, I, I feel like I'm a living testimony of the answer prayers of a Power Praying Wife. And, um, and meanwhile, I was in that apartment. And, and, um, and for the first time, I think I had time to think about what had happened. I, I started to realize that while I had blamed everyone else, you know, the, everyone's an idiot, that this is this situation is everyone else's fault. I realized that, you know, although my dad did what he did, although, you know, I had things to complain about the military about and really I blamed my wife for not understanding what I was going through and all these people I blamed, I realized that I was the common denominator. Like, it was me. And um, when I came to that conclusion, you know, there's uh, really two ways I could have looked, looked, looked at it. I could have changed. Or I could have uh, uh, let it take me even deeper. And I, I let it take me deeper because I had realized that was a problem. And I said, well, you know, this is a hopeless situation. I'm only going to hurt them worse. And so maybe they would be sad without me, but they'd be better off. And so I made the same decision that 20 plus of my veterans make every day that I was going to take my life. Mm -hmm. And um, as a police officer, I had, I had seen suicide scenes before. So I, I, I knew that I would... Um, my kids would probably be the one that would find me. So I thought I could make, make it look like an accident. And I had heard a statistic that one in three children from a parent that commits suicide would do it as well. And so I thought uh, I didn't want to leave that legacy for my kids. So I was trying to contemplate how to 
make it look like an accident. I remember there were times I would just sit in my closet uh, with my pistol for like hours uh, trying to build up the courage or trying to think through it. And during that time, my wife had came to my apartment and she had the uh, divorce papers uh, with her and she was coming to get me to sign them. And I was being really difficult because obviously I wanted to sign them, but I also was being a jerk. And uh, so she asked me how I could uh, do all the things that I did in my life, like the military, uh, becoming a reconnaissance Marine. She was there. We, we met when she was 17 and I was 18 years old. So she saw me go through that training. She got, saw me go through all these schools. She saw me do these deployment workups, the training, and, and she knew what we were doing on deployments, how, how crazy some of our deployments were to Afghanistan. And then she saw me get ready for these MMA fights, like cutting 35 pounds of weight and, and uh, training like when you're tired and just having a discipline to do it anyway. And so she's like, how could you do all of that? And when it comes to our family, you'll quit. Wow. And uh, yeah, that, that question, it like radically impacted me because, you know, as, as probably to me, there's no more soul cutting word than to be called a quitter. And uh, she was absolutely right. You know, while I had been successful at professional things, when it came to the most important things in my life, being a husband, being a father, being that 17 year old kid that had a brand new chance of life and want to do something important with it. And, and uh, the reality was I had quit. I had quit on all those things, including my own health. And uh, I made a decision uh, right there that I was gonna I was gonna turn it around and I was gonna take the same work ethic, character, discipline, everything that had made me successful professionally, and I was gonna fix this situation. It wasn't a faith-based decision at the time. Okay. It had nothing to do with God. What, what, what I did realize, and I think God gave me the insight of this, is that I couldn't do it alone. And I couldn't do it with the people that I had surrounded myself with. Because remember, I, you know, I had people that were just telling me what I wanted to hear, not what I needed to hear. I didn't have any accountability. And so I went to my wife and I said, uh, hey, this church you're going to, do you think there's a man in there that could help me stick to this decision I just made? And uh, she called the church, and I met with a man named Steve Toth at Starbucks. And Steve never served in the military. In fact, he was he was his intentions were to introduce me to a retired Navy SEAL who was a pastor. But uh, I think God uniquely qualified Steve with some gifts to mm. help me. I think his greatest gift was ADD because he didn't have the patience to deal with my manipulative <laughs> personality. Uh-huh. He's, a, he's a really impatient guy. As a matter of fact, like you go to a restaurant with him, he literally will run across the parking lot to his car because he's just that waste his time walking. Oh, wow. <laughs> so he's just got that personality. And anyways, we, we were sitting down at Starbucks and I had written a plan out of how I was going to fix my life. For the military guys listening, I wrote like a five paragraph operational order of how I was going to fix my life. And I slid it over to him and it was very detailed and he didn't even read it. He just slid it back to me and he said, <laughs> and he said you're going to fail and you're going to end up right back on your face. Uh, following your face and I was like what do you mean like uh, you don't even know me like I wrote this amazing plan you didn't even read it and, like I felt kind of disrespected you know and uh and he's like you know it doesn't have anything to do with your relationship with God and if it doesn't start there you get to right back where you are and I'm not going to waste your time and you're not going to waste mine and uh what I didn't know was that the last guy Stephen tried to mentor before me had taken his life just a few months prior and he he regretfully wasn't uh bold and firm with that guy wow so he was with me and uh, we have a saying at our, you know, the, the foundation at Mighty Oaks Warrior Programs that if what you're doing isn't working, then why not try something different? And uh, the truth was I tried everything. I tried the pills. I tried the counseling. I tried jujitsu and MMA, none of the, but none of those things had worked. So it was really try, you know, time to try something different. And so I just trusted him, and uh, uh, I ended up surrendering my life to Christ in a very authentic, like, hey, 
I want to give this a truly 100% commit my life and surrender my life to, to God and, 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 and see what's going to happen. And I, and I did that. But beyond that decision, Steve mentored me for a whole year in biblical manhood. And, and through that journey, what I discovered was that what had happened to me didn't really put me in a situation I was in, right? My childhood, Afghanistan, losing friends, doing things that I did, being part of things, the anxiety, the things that triggered my anxiety, all those things didn't put me in a situation I was in. What they put me in a situation I was in was the choices I had made. And I never lost control of that. And when as, as simple as it may seem, when I realized that, I realized that I had control again and that the events of my past didn't control my future. And uh, now I'm getting mentored in biblical manhood. And so now that I know I have the ability to choose, I have a set of uh, principles to choose from. In fact, the very principles were, were designed to choose from. And, and that was the, the biblical blueprint of life, of manhood for me. And, uh, and I started doing that. I started recalibrating my life and making choices according, according to that. In some days I succeeded and some days I failed, but I kept intentional, being intentional about it. And, and I tell you, like, it didn't mean the anger didn't go away. It meant when I got angry, I responded differently. It didn't mean the anxiety went away the first at the beginning, but I responded differently. And so because of that, my relationship started to find restoration and I find, and I started feeling like I was in control again and my life started to change. And, uh, and really the anxiety that would lead me to the point of having these panic attacks started going away and I was able to get off the medications even. And, uh, what I felt like I discovered at the end of that was the very purpose that I was created because I felt like when I was going through this, I was the only one. I felt like no one possibly could be suffering the way I am and no one could possibly be experiencing the hopelessness, the despair in their marriage. There's no one, there's no way possible anybody could be experiencing this. That's how I felt. And I think a lot of people feel that way when they're going through that. Right. But the truth was, and we see it statistically, I mean, I'm right here next to Camp Pelham. There's an 85% divorce rate in military veterans. There's 20 plus suicides a day. Like I wasn't even close to the only one. And, uh, but now I felt like I had the solution. And, and uh, I, the only way I could really explain it is like the passion I felt was like if I had terminal cancer and was dying and somebody gave me the cure, like I didn't feel like I wanted to pass it on. Like I felt obligated to pass it on to others. And uh, so when my wife and I decided to pay that forward, it was still pretty, pretty new for us. But we just felt compelled. We felt like God called us to pass this on. And so we walked away from everything to start Mighty Oaks, not because we wanted to start a big you know, national nonprofit like it is today. We just wanted to pay forward what was done for us. The the challenge my wife gave me, the second chance that God gave me in the uh, in the mentorship that Steve gave me, we just wanted to pay that forward. And uh, and, and it's been such a blessing to do that and, and uh, pay those uh, that experience and the lessons of succeeding, but also failing and finding restoration and finding hope and finding ultimately finding purpose, the very purposes that God created us to. To live. You know, Chad, as you were sharing that, what really stuck out to me was just the, the boldness and the obedience to God that your wife, Kathy, and also your mentor, Steve, really demonstrated. How has that, that boldness and that obedience really played out in your life as you are reaching out to minister to active military and to veterans through your foundation? Those two things you mentioned are the DNA of what we do now. I mean, I mean, one, Kathy was 
if you look back at Kathy's story of, of forgiveness for me, it was completely selfless because she was convinced when she gave me that challenge that our marriage was over. So she wasn't saying these things to manipulate my heart or try to get me to come back. She was, she was convinced like our marriage was over. She, as rotten as I, as, as I was to her and the damage I caused to her, she could have hated me, but she chose to love me even if it didn't have anything to do with our marriage. Wow. She felt she was being obedient to God to do that. Right. And uh, for me, she was worried about me. She wasn't worried about marriage. She was worried about about me. And she felt God, she felt she was needing to be obedient to God to do that. And and Steve came in and he didn't think he was coming into rest restore marriage. He he also thought it was it was gone. And so both of them acted out of obedience. Now, when I say it's in the DNA of what we do, uh, we're probably one of the few veteran organizations that do what Kathy did to me is confront them, challenge them. I, I, Kathy confronted me. And she hit that pride button. If the first moment that we get with the veterans, we, we challenge them the same way she did. And that's part of, you know, written into our methodology because most people that deal with veterans, particularly combat veterans, they're esteemed because we're thankful for their service. And, and I am uh, thankful for all of, all of a warrior service. Uh, and so you get, you get hung up on, on, uh, on honoring them in, in, in that, that, that uh, attempt to honor them sometimes can be enabling and block us from actually being able to give them the help they need. And so we tell them how much we love them, how thankful we are, and we almost give them a pass on some of the behaviors. Where in our program, we're peer-to-peer, so we are them, and we're able to tell them the hard things that their spouses sometimes can't tell them, that their counselors can't tell them. We're able to tell them, hey, it's time to get up off the ground because you're better than this, and you can do something important again, and this isn't who God created you to be, to be some kind of victim. Uh, of the circumstances of your past. So we're able to tell them those hard things and challenge them like Kathy gave me that challenge. And then we're also able to do for them what Steve did for me. And that's to equip them to pay it forward to the next guy, which is discipleship. You know, Steve didn't just uh, try to make me better. He tried to prepare me to pass that on to the next guy. And and uh, so when we get our guys, the first thing we do with them is we challenge them and we to get back in the fight and to get back up off the ground and, and be a warrior and be a leader again. And then we also tell them, you're not here just to get well, but you're here to be in a position to help the next guy because you are a leader. You're created to be a leader. And, and uh, the, getting well just isn't isn't good enough. That's uh, that's for you, but you're created. It's bigger than you. It's not about you. Life isn't about us individually. It's about him and serving him. And uh, we can't we can't serve him, and we can't be who he called us to be while we're sitting down on our butts, and uh, and knocked down and, and mad at the past. And so the very things that Steve and Kathy did for me, we were able to pass forward through this uh, this program and the methodology we use to help other warriors. And and I, and I believe that's why it's it's uh it's grown the way it has. That's why we've had the success we've had. We've had in our core legacy program, which is a six day replication of what Steve did for me in a year. We've had 1,362 graduates, many who were really struggling with, with suicide and divorce when they came. We've had zero suicides. Wow. And, and we, all of our staff now, all of our leaders and our, our, all, all of our adjunct staff and team leaders, they're all alumni out of that program. So we've taken warriors who had fallen on their face and hit a point of ultimate hopelessness and despair, and we've risen them back up to be those leaders again and and ultimately they're serving the kingdom and and, and winning souls for christ and turning uh, other warriors around to do the very thing very same thing how cool is it that 
Kathy and Steve's model of obedience has really become the foundation of your entire organization. I love that. Now, as we're thinking about the church leaders in our audience, how do you feel the church can be most effective in coming around military families and helping support them? Uh, what what have you seen that is most effective? I think, and there's a lot of churches that have you know mi- military small groups. Uh, it's a tough demographic for a lot of churches, and I mean, being here in Southern California, obviously, if a church has a military small group, is going to be packed. Um, if you're in, you know, Bales of Hay, Iowa, <laughs> right? You, you you probably don't have as many. Uh, but even if it's a small group to get them started. But when you do these groups, I think it's very important that they become a, a pit stop and not a destination. Um, those those warriors should have a, a transition from from being in a military group that they feel comfortable in to growing out of the group into the into the body the, the body of the church and the body of Christ and, and to be able to use those skills outside of that. You know, this is a big problem with a lot of veterans groups. They end up you know staying in this kind of watering hole a lot of them a lot of times in bars and, and it's been you know it's uh, 40 50 years there in the same spot they never right. on groups and so you know i really encourage pastors who, who who actually start these military groups to do them in a way and organize them in a way that they're not meant to be a permanent destination but just really a pit stop for, for these uh for these warriors that they're helping that's good that, that's great great advice what about um what about the military families themselves? Are, are, are there some cool things you've seen churches doing that have, have supported military families? Yeah, I mean, we, we have, so in addition to our legacy program, you know, we do we do resiliency conferences. Uh, so I, I go speak a lot of the resiliency conferences for all the different branches. And I speak to the, not only the, 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 war, the warriors, but the spouses. And, uh, and then we have an outpost. We also partner with the organization called Reboot. Who does out, outposts, which means they're planting in a church, they do weekly meetings around the country, and and some of those some of those groups do uh, couples together, um, and I think it's very important because what we found early on when we started doing our, our program Mighty Oaks, we were only we were only serving uh, male combat veterans, and so these guys would come come to the program, they make a radical decision to turn their life around, they go home and they implement this, and they'd almost leave the spouse behind, the same spouse that was praying for them in the first place. And, uh, and, you know, much was the case with me and Kathy and we had to find a right. balance in that, in that for Kathy and I. And so we've, uh, we've actually started a spouses program and we, uh, we run out of about 30 programs we ran last year, we ran three spouses programs. So it's not as, as many, but we, uh, we see the importance of it and they're bringing, uh, you know, kind of bringing them in a holistic, uh, path together that we're able to do it, do it in, in unison and be on their own independent journeys, but also their journey together. Very cool. Very cool. Now, you mentioned uh, domestic abuse, divorce, suicide, um, that those rates are, are really high among our active duty military, uh, among our veterans. I, I know your program kind of speaks into that specifically, but are there other things um, specifically when it comes to to these three you know, big areas that you would you know, provide some guidance maybe for pastors or churches to kind of help help in these areas? You know, I, I think it's I think if to reach veterans who are not going to come in the churches, uh, you know, and this is the same for any any area that church wants to wants to impact uh, the people outside of the walls of the church. It's got to be you got to be reaching out and doing outreach to to reach these guys particularly that are uh, that are struggling. A lot of a lot of times when these we see these military guys at a at a point of hopelessness and despair to where they will go through a divorce or even worse, take their life. Uh, if you really look backwards from the incident of, uh, of suicide, 
you see a pattern of ice of a really really deliberate isolation no one saw it while it was happening but but it did happen and uh and then i i compare that to the people that we've seen rescued through mighty oaks and it was always because it was always because someone reached out to get them there in the worst cases someone reached out to get them there and and, and typical and, and many a times i'm really proud to say that it was someone from a, a local church that had heard about our ministry and knew that it was a free resource to to the to the church and they went to them and they said hey i know you're struggling and i know you're hurting and maybe i don't have all the answers but but here's a group of guys who are just like you who have maybe been through some of the same things and they found the solution and, they, and the guy might turn them off he might not be seem interested but they leave a flyer with him maybe one of uh, the books that we've written and uh in that moment of hopelessness they have something to turn to and uh in in a place to to go to when they need help we had a uh, one of our veterans who came through a program mike pretty he, he came up with this crazy idea that he was going to ride his bike across country to raise a, you know, to, to raise awareness for Mighty Oaks and what we're doing. Wow. And I'm, I'm, I'm like kind of a, I'm very cynical towards uh, raising awareness for any problem because something like veteran suicide, everyone talks about a problem and the truth is everyone knows it's a problem. I, I prefer raising awareness about a solution, right? Right, <laughs> right. A solution, right? And uh, it seems like people get excited about talking about problems and, and oftentimes are quiet about solutions. And, uh, but Mike was was going to ride his bike across country to talk about the solution. And he rode all the way across the country, and he was going to raise, you know, he went, he had this big lofty goal. He was going to raise all this money for us. And uh, I, I think he went in the red, <laughs> negative, <laughs> negative, pretty, <laughs> pretty bad to do it. And uh, in addition, he lost a lot of weight, and uh, his legs were pretty sore. And uh, so he was really down. But along the way, he stopped at churches, and he handed out flyers and these little DVDs that promoted what we did and uh, showed some of the testimonies at the ranch. And uh, – and he, he was pretty down about it, and I was like really encouraging him. Hey, God's gonna show your fruit through this. So you, sometimes you may you may not even see it. And he just so happened to be at, at Sky Rose Ranch in California. One of our partners, Server California, provides this amazing twenty-two thousand acre ranch for us. And we're going through the program. Mike's team leading, and this this Marine former Marine stands up. His, he had to get burned. His face was really burned, and he and he said, uh, "You know, I was I had reached a point of complete hopelessness. I decided that was it." I was going to, you know, I was going to, I couldn't go any further. And he sat in, sat in his recliner with a shotgun next to him and, a, and enough liquor to numb himself to actually do it. And as he's drinking and uh, building it, building up the numbness to actually pull the trigger, he looks on top of his, his television and there was a DVD, a pastor of a church had given his dad to give him and he had never looked at it. He was just cynical, didn't want to see it. But he put in that DVD and when he turned, when he started playing, he saw the other veterans at our program and he started crying. And that night he called his dad and said, Hey, I need, I need you to come. I, I don't trust myself uh, alone. And uh, I need you to get me this program. Mike was there and heard him tell this testimony. Mike had drove that bike across and handed that DVD to the pastor. Wow. Gave it to the dad who gave it to the son in an ultimate moment of ultimate hopelessness. He saw it and God used it as a tool to save this man's life. And, uh, you know, so the faithfulness of uh, doing the littlest of things to reach out and be intentional about reaching out, it's just like any other ministry. Right, right. Uh, saves lives, restores families, changes legacies, and, and ultimately it'll change the, change the world and the kingdom of heaven. And uh, it's through those deliberate actions. That That's awesome. That's awesome. So that, that whole bike trip across the country, um, he got to see that it was worth it. Even when he yeah. when he thought it wasn't, he got to see the uh, the real fruit of that. That's that's awesome, and that's an encouragement I think to pastors because you know pastors, ministry leaders. We 
you know, we're lots of times we're, we're doing our thing and we're being faithful, we're being obedient. And, and like you said, many times we don't always see that fruit, you know, and sometimes we can get down and discouraged and uh, feel like, man, you know, I'm, I'm trying so hard to honor God. And, and that's just a, a word of encouragement that we never know the impact that, that what we're doing is, is ultimately going to have on the kingdom. So thank well, you for sharing I'll, that. Yeah. Yeah. I think and Mike, Mike said, man, I'd, if I knew that I'd ride my bike backwards across the country, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and, I think, and I, we, we say this in our leadership training because we have a very deliberate leadership training process. We get really selfish and self-ambitious about, about ministry, and we feel like we have to be the one, right? We have to be the one that, that sees the results. But the truth is, like, if you really look at the process of ministering to someone broken to see them come into full restoration, you, ha- you have a process of someone that plants a seed, someone that waters a seed, and someone that harvests a seed. You rarely get to be all three. Right. And so it's really trusting God's process of doing that. If if you're all three every time, you may start feeling like God. But uh, you know, yeah. you, if you maybe have one of those three roles, maybe you're the guy who plants the seed. You never see it water. You never see it harvest. But God does. Or maybe someone else planted the seed, and you get to just water into it, and someone else actually works on the harvest later on. Or you know, maybe you know you're the actual one that gets blessed to see someone come to Christ. But I believe as God orchestrates His plan. There's these three phases that happen through different people a lot of times, and you don't always get to be to see all three of those things. And you have to be okay with that and trust God that you just get to be part of the process. And it's one of the things that I think has taken a lot of pressure off of us as we train our ministry leaders to, to be team leaders at, at Mighty Oaks is that don't try to do it all because that's not your job. It's God's job to do it all. Someone else, we may get someone that comes to this program that someone's over already planted, someone's already watered, and they come there just ready. Right. We may get a guy that we all our only job at Mighty Oaks is to plant that seed, and then we we, we need to point him to a church where he goes to the church and they can water it, and someone else God has in store to, to reap that harvest, and uh, and it's just something I think we have to excel uh, accept in ministry and just trust God with that process. I love that, Chad. That's a good word. That's a great word of encouragement, and I'm sure that there are many pastors, ministry leaders listening even now that uh, that's uh, resonating with their heart in in a great word of encouragement. I love that. I love it. Um, listen, Chad, I know that um, there, there are different ways that people can connect with you and your ministry. I know um, if they go to outreach.com slash speakers, they can connect with you and book you to come and speak at their church or maybe at a community event. Uh, you've written several books, and you have a new one coming out um, here in July, right? And what was the title of that new one? That's right. It's uh, An Unfair Advantage of Victory okay. in the Midst of Battle. And uh, really blessed. We have uh, Lieutenant General Boykin. Who wrote the forward? If you guys don't know who he is, he was our Secretary of Defense for Intelligence. He was one of the founders of Delta Force. This amazing guy, uh, 36 years in the in special operations, and uh, endorsed by David Barton, uh, Alan West, uh, Sergeant Major Kent, who's the 16th Sergeant Major of the Marine Corps. And uh, what, what I share in an unfair advantage is a bunch of stories, uh, kind of fun war stories from Afghanistan and from MMA, but each chapter. Uh, goes into a parallel story of biblical time warriors, and we kind of unwrap an unfair advantage found through a, a life of faith and a in a pursuit to be the people that got, that God called us to be, and uh, it's really really a was exciting uh, project for me to do and, and share some of these stories. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. We'll release it July 4th. That's awesome. We'll have we'll have links um, to how they can connect with you as a speaker, and then also links to your books on um, our show notes for this episode. Um, but also, how can they connect with you? Um, through through your ministry so if if you know they have people in their churches that they think 
uh, Mighty Oaks would be a, a, a great opportunity for them. Uh, what's the best way for, for mystery leaders to go about uh, connecting? Well, they go to our website, which is mightyoaksprograms.org. And uh, you should know that all our programs for uh, both veterans, active duty, uh, which we get a lot of active duty and veterans who are out already, as well as spouses, all our programs are free. Um, if they can't get to our programs, we do have a scholarship fund for travel. Wow. And uh, we'll make it happen. Um, so definitely you, the church is listening. Utilize us as a resource. No strings attached. Um, we have four locations nationwide that we bring our veterans to, and we run 30 of these programs per year. And, um, and you know, if the church needs help to outreach to veterans, uh, we, we definitely um, can come and be part of that, too, through our speakers team. That's awesome. That's awesome, brother. So, again, our listeners can find um, links to all these as well as some other helpful resources from today's podcast by visiting churchleaders.com slash podcast. And you can click on Chad's podcast episode and, and links to all of this, including uh, the Mighty Oaks Foundation, uh, his ministry that he and Kathy founded, uh, will all be there and available to you. So, Chad, I just want to say thank you, brother, for, for sharing your story with us. And I want to thank you for uh, – I love what you said in the very beginning, that, that uh, you've always been a fighter and you're continuing to fight. Um, you're a warrior for the kingdom, and uh, you're fighting on behalf of brothers and sisters who, who have served the military and are going through difficult, difficult circumstances. And um, your heart, Kathy's heart, and your entire team there at Mighty Oaks is, is seeking to, to help them find some restoration and some healing. Uh, that's, that's an awesome, awesome mission. And uh, we'll be praying for you as you continue to, to fight and uh, be a warrior for God. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, Jason. And thank you to our listeners for joining us on today's episode. We certainly hope you enjoyed the podcast, and if you are indeed finding value from the Church Leaders podcast, we'd appreciate you taking just a few moments to jump over onto iTunes and to leave us a review. Your positive reviews and ratings help other church leaders find our podcast so they can benefit as well. We thank you so much in advance, and until next time, this is Jason Day encouraging you to love well and lead well. You've been listening to the Church Leaders Podcast. For articles, videos, and free resources that will help you lead better every day, visit our website, churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.